0: I'm Connor Sweetman, and welcome to InsureTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is transforming insurance and about the people making it happen. As always, we are brought to you by InsureTech Ireland. Visit our website, insuretechireland.org. There, you can sign up for our community newsletter, where every week we'll send you three nuggets of insights from the InsureTech and startup ecosystems. This week, my guest is Ben Shaw, Director of Programs and Strategy at InsurTech Hub Munich. InsurTech Hub Munich run a very cool accelerator program. Uh, we talked about that, how they got started, what their alumni are up to, and we chat about the innovative ways that the German government are fostering entrepreneurship. Please enjoy.
1: So I was reading on your LinkedIn page on your description of InsurTech Munich Hub and it says, reinventing startup acceleration in Germany independent of industry, stage or geography. And I thought that was a real powerful statement and I was wondering, if you, can we get into what that means exactly? So what what's different about InsurTech Munich Hub?
2: Yeah, so the, the idea here is that first you've got not one insurer but a whole bunch of insurers, right? So you, you've got the Insurance, the German insurance industry standing behind you if you're wanting to interface with it. The Insurder Cup Munich is a really good entry point. I think layered on top of that is not just the fact that we're working with insurers, but we're also working with Microsoft, working with uh, SAP. We're working with some of the bigger players um, that are based here in Germany, that are technology-driven, NTT, for example, as well. Um, And that just adds another flair of, hey, if you partner with a company like NTT, you might be able to get... A more reproducible sales cycle. Like you, 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 could you could use NTT to get into other companies as well. So I think that's that's the the first part. You know, not just the insurance industry, but but other other things there as well. The the second thing you talked about is is geography. So on our last program, we had companies from New York, um, one company from Singapore. Uh, we're working with a couple of companies in India. So so the idea here is that especially when you're looking at back office optimization. But, but that might also be true in other areas but but it's, it's especially sort of the back office tooling that r- really doesn't matter whether the company is 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 german or or from abroad right all you need to know is you need to mitigate the risk that company might still exist so so maybe the entry point might be slightly later uh, if a company out of india would come here they pro- like i'm i'm assuming an insurer here would probably need to see that they're working with a few customers already but really if you want to be ahead of the game from a technological perspective you need to be open to innovating not just with startups locally but but globally
1: absolutely and how did the hub start
2: how did uh, the insurtech munich start yeah yeah so it was set up in in sort of 20 2016 the first ideas popped up uh prior to that munich itself had realized that in the Eastern part of Munich, where it actually used to be, uh, the famous German potato dumplings used to be made in in that part of city. And it was the last bit that was still industrial. Sorry, then, well,
1: I, I've never heard of these so-called famous potato famous dumplings. So,
2: <laughs> I, don't know. so, so I, think, I think they're famous here, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you go to Oktoberfest uh, in Munich, you're, you're going to be served that if, if you ask for the, the standard food. But, ah, but right, okay. anyway, so, so that, that <laughs> factory was in Munich up until the 90s when the city asked them to leave. And uh, and they, they moved outside of the city and they left over this area where uh, in that area, suddenly loads of nightclubs opened up because it was like an industrial complex right and it wasn't used anymore so all these nightclubs opened up and as a result there was uh there was crime there was like uh, drugs and, and this is something the city didn't want so in the late um in the late noughties uh, they decided that they're gonna kick out all the nightclubs and instead make a sort of a, a hipster area you know looking over to what happened in shoreditch in london for example as a good example um that they wanted to to replicate and so they said that all the startups should have a home in Munich somewhere. And, that's, and that startup home uh, was called the Werk 1, which was originally where the founders of this potato factory actually lived, you know, the, the house that they lived in, um, which, which now was taken over by startups. This was in, in, in 2012. Wow. And so since since then, there was so much sort of media tension That the insurers were like, okay, if we need to innovate, because we're a little bit worried that maybe a tech giant like Amazon would instantly sort of launch an insurance product and and cut away some market share, how do we do that? How should we innovate? So they approached this startup hotspot, the VAC INS, and said, Why don't we do something together? And the, the recommendation that came out of them was, let's set up an accelerator, right? They looked over to Silicon Valley, they knew what what a lot of these a lot of these companies so so sorry,
1: was this like a, a group of insurers or
2: correct? One this, insurer? 12, this was a group of twelve insurers. And they were they were sort of coming together to the drawing board to say, how can we innovate not really against one another, but against like companies that would come outside of the industry? And so that happened in the first accelerator was set up in twenty seventeen, um, where they brought together these twelve insurers who selected companies to come into the Werk 1, the startup. The most startup-friendly place in Munich, and since then it's grown. You know, the first program had twenty applicants and five companies. Uh, the next one already had fifty applicants. On the most recent one, we we spoke to over a thousand companies. We had three over three hundred full applications. Um, so since then, it's 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 grown tremendously. But the the idea was still the same. You know, you're bringing together the insurance incumbents with startup entrepreneurs and founders.
1: And was it always the idea to run an accelerator or did that idea evolve um, at some stage?
2: Yeah, so the idea was always to have some programmatic element where you're almost sort of forcing people to be in one place together. You can't really do that with single events, so their idea was to to do a program. And they called it an accelerator, even though if you look at what's happening in, in Silicon Valley or some of the first accelerators, maybe some of the biggest we know, Techstars Y Combinator, they, they always also have this component of funding and doing investments. And in fact, that wasn't something that was considered for, for a whole for a whole bunch of different reasons. Uh, like venture capital is just not that common in Germany uh, as as it would be in, in the US. And so instead of doing that, they just said, OK, we're going to give you office space. We'll give you some know-how and you can come and, and, and join us. But of course, venture capital is what really attracts a lot of founders. And especially when it comes to know-how, uh, like... If, if you're founding a company, it's very rare that you think that the area that you're founding a company in is something you don't know much about, right? So there was almost a mismatch of the initial program that was set up, um, where they looked at a, at a model that existed somewhere else, and then they replicated it without really thinking about the stakeholders being very different, and the motivations of why a founder would join. Um happy to go into more detail on that but that, yeah
1: because I was interested in w- w- how you guys attract startups and you're saying there that there was that there was uh, a mismatch uh, and so how did that play out
2: So this is great I think the the reality is that if you have a program with 15 well now 16 insurance companies and a few other cross- industry partners the most likely reason a founder will apply is because they want to do sales. Right. They want to sell to these insurance companies and get and get to know them. And when we then do an exit interview after the program's over, that's actually not the main reason they like the program. There's, there's other things that play a role here. Um, but really what, what, what you're trying to do is you're, 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 you need to make sure that the expectations of founders are met in that program. And I think, I think the, the, when, when, when the program was set up, Given that it was called an accelerator and there was maybe an expectation that you also interface with investors, like companies can fuel your growth, especially if you're sort of a high investment, you know, innovation-driven enterprise. Um, and that didn't happen. Right. So the very first program we ran, there, there was no interaction with venture capital. This is something that we've now, so ever since I sort of joined a year ago, so now we have 20 VC partners. We've got our investor showcase coming up mid-June, and uh, we already have over 80 individual VCs re- re- registered for that. Wow. Um, so and that, that's this added layer that people didn't really think about when they set up the program. But, of course, we we needed to sort of add to make sure that the needs of the founders really are met.
1: And and was the reason why that was omitted at the start because uh, the fact that it was, it was set up by a consortium of incumbents who weren't uh, – well, they're not venture capitalists necessarily um, – uh, so the incentives are, aren't the same.
2: My theory here is one of the th- one of the things in the innovation thinking world is that startups are much closer to customers, and startups iterate with the customers. In fact, the only reason the startup is successful is if they've managed to really fulfil a customer need, and they only they can only do that by working with those customers to understand what those needs are. And if you don't have that approach embedded within you, which sort of is, I mean, is obvious from from a lot of those incumbents that they don't, then you're not you're not going to set up a program in the interest of your customer which in this case is the startup right um, and so and so this is I, I think this is sort of what explains a lot of what was done back then you're sort of looking to other models you may not be able to understand the real gaps there and then and then you're setting something up just to make sure that you can you can create a media hype and in fact in the sort of innovation world uh, across corporations, we like to refer to that as innovation theater, right? Like the, this whole sort of... <laughs> that's a really re- good way of putting it. <laughs> you, you're basically, you're basically uh, give, getting media attention, and that's great. And everyone will see, oh, wow, they're doing something with startups. But, but there may not actually be that much value behind it, apart from the fact that you're getting media attention. And this is something we, we're really trying to combat because you're also not really creating value for the corporates, right? If they get a little bit of media attention, like you could create that in a, in a much more tangible way and, and generate more value for the business than, than just sort of doing innovation theater.
1: Yeah, and and it's expensive as well to run these from from the incumbent's point of view. Like it's not cheap. Um, but you you say so. I'm right saying this is an equity free program, and I just I'm just wondering how exactly that works. Yeah. Or what, so,
2: so this is so. So Connor, this is awesome because you just said you just said. And it's expensive as well. And I think this is one of the things that we 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 don't have. You know, like textiles charges over two million per program. Like we, because we're set up as a as an association, we charge a membership fee, and the membership fee is it's, it's public information. You know, every insurer pays us fifty thousand euros a year, and. For an innovation effort, that's super cheap, right? Because if you're thinking even about hiring a single innovation manager, yeah. that's likely going to cost you something like <laughs> something like fifty k, right? So, so, uh, and this is this is how we finance ourselves. But that's actually not enough. So, even though we have twenty members that all pay around that amount, um, we we're, we're subsidized by the by the Bavarian government, who are Really trying to make Munich the hotspot of insurtech and corporate innovation.
1: Wow, that's incredible! Tell me about some of the alumni you've had on the program. Who stood out to you?
2: Yeah, uh, so this is this is one of the reasons I I, I actually joined because we had a couple of companies very early on in the program where we were lucky. Like from the very first batch, two of them folded, but then one of them, a company called Taply in the UK, like ended up being the biggest sort of gig economy insurance provider, and they've partnered with with Lloyds of London to, to do the underwriting, which is super, super interesting. And so I, I connected with the founder then, sort of asked her what this is all about. She, she ended up being a mentor on the program, um, but this is probably one of the successes from early on. Since then, we had a couple of companies um, in, in programs two and three, uh, NECT, uh, uh, Identity Company, just announced that they, they raised around, um, which is, NECT was a really good example of where A lot of these insurers, when they're looking at digital onboarding and trying to get customers on their products, knew, knew that they needed this sort of identity solution, but NEC didn't really have enough traction. And it was one of those effects where once they got one pilot and then they managed to prove that with that pilot they can actually be completely compliant and do identity verification, suddenly all these other insurers jumped on board. And so now recently they, they they raised their sort of series A round, uh, given the fact that they just have so much traction. And again, this is now an optimization game. And then the third bit heavy hitter is a company called eBot7. In fact, if people are tuning in for our demo day on June 18th, we're interviewing the founder then, uh, because eBot7 is a really good example of how you hustle your way to success, right? Like, one of the things that Ebot Seven did early on is provide workshops, and those workshops already generated value uh, for companies who wanted to find out more about chatbots. And in those workshops, they were also collecting data. And this is super interesting because a lot of a lot of founders think that they know it all and they don't collect data from customers, and then they launch a product that no one needs. But Ebot Seven was exactly the opposite way around. Right? They were building their product based on customer feedback they were collecting from an offline approach. And this is yeah, something people how did that always work,
1: exactly. Tell me, uh, tell me more about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, so, 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 Ebot Seven is a chatbot tool.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You essentially install it. It's quite an easy installation, and then it looks at customer service agents um, chatting on websites. And the more they data they collect about how customer service agents respond, the more of that, the more of that sort of user journey can be automated. Of course. Oh, I see. Can... So
1: they're kind of recording. And looking at say the common questions and the common responses and the types of language and terms of phrase that people use in response.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so it's a it's a super simple tool. You should never ask a customer service agent whether that tool should be used, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's it's clearly it's clearly addressing a need. And the, the way Evoc Seven came up with this, um, and this is a story you you can find out more from from sort of following following their journey. But they they, they always tell you that. If you if you do if you do sort of primary market research, it, it's it's really hard to do, right? Finding the right customer, inter, interfacing with them. So so you need to provide some sort of value in return. Like what a lot of B two C founders do is they go for coffee with potential customers, right? That's hard to do in the B two B space. So instead, they did workshops and they they were teaching about chatbots in those workshops and then also asking those potential customers like what their pain points are. And that's how they came up with sort of this customer service representation.
1: Yeah, and, and it's. It's a cool story, I think, because it's very, it's kind of, it's quite old school as well in terms of just the sales approach of going and speaking to your customers, finding out what, what their problems were, and then showing them how
2: to solve their problems. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and people tend to forget this, I think. People tend to think, oh, I'm the one who needs to have the answer, even though that's not true, right? If you don't talk to your customers at all, um, you're not going to find the answer. And we even taught this to this this class of 40 companies right at the beginning, you know, primary market research, interviewing customers is really important. And the response you always get is this, oh, but Steve Jobs never interviewed his customers. And it's so funny because uh, there's a few responses there. Even Steve Jobs, right, factored in like what customers thought about the product. He wouldn't ask them for a solution, but he would definitely ask them for their problem. But but more importantly than that, how many Steve Jobs do you know, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent point. Absolutely uh i hear i think we'll wrap up just i want to give you the the last word so there's a couple of things coming up you have your digital health innovation what was it was called h1 uh, h plus h plus sorry and then you have your demo day in a few weeks time so maybe just want to give a bit of a plug to what you guys are doing and uh, where people can find out more about you
2: yes so this is awesome so the insurtech hub uh website is now up and running we rebranded that we've also got a website specifically for the h plus program because that's not just our initiative we're doing that with as i mentioned the medical valley in in nuremberg uh always follow us there linkedin is actually a good way to to get the newest news um that we post there So please also uh, follow us on LinkedIn. And then if you want to join Demo Day, uh, you can can get the link via Twitter. You can get the link via Eventbrite. But of course, uh, if you follow our LinkedIn, it's going to be posted there as well. And Demo Day is June 18th, which might be a a, a couple of days from when you're listening to this. Um, Absolutely feel free to jump onto the line there um, if you can spontaneously, um, because Demo Day is open to everyone who's interested in intro tech good stuff thank you very much for for having me connor
0: thank you for listening don't forget to subscribe on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you can find us on linkedin and please visit our website insuretechireland.org see you next week